October Recovery Podcast, Episode 2. someone you know is struggling with alcohol or drug addiction, you can call Recovery Centers of America at 1-855-487-9626. You can also reach them at recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services. Uh, you can find um, centers in Danvers, in Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Uh, another place for treatment is a cool place called Banyan Treatment Center. And this was started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Uh, he has locations in Pennsylvania, Wilmington, Mass., Chicago, along with four locations in Florida. And also, uh, if you need help with addiction, you can call Foundations Recovery Network at 877-714-1318 and ask for Lee Pepper. succeeded in recording episode two. Oh man, I'm AJ, I'm an alcoholic, and uh, for so long, man, I hated to say those words, but it, it was because I didn't even know what an alcoholic was, you know? I mean, I had 0.0 knowledge about the disease of addiction. I drank under any and all cir- circumstances. Sad, let's drink. Happy, let's get fucked up. I used alcohol to mask the pain and and all my feelings, and I wanted to stop, but I didn't know why I couldn't, you know what I mean? It was like, I was in denial and not accepting that I had a problem, and uh, lo and behold, it turns out that uh, I'm an addict, I'm addicted to alcohol, I can't use alcohol like a normal alcohol user can, you know, you can use whatever term you want, um, Paul Churchill from Reco- Recovery Elevator, he uh, he calls it uh, EDR, Enhanced Dopamine Receptors. And call it what you will, but whatever you want to label it, the bottom line is that it is a disease, and it is a progressive disease. And, uh, and you know, I have it, and it's not only me. It's, it's the research shows two out of three American families are adversely affected by alcohol and other drug addiction. Um, you know, addiction is much more common uh, than people want to believe. And, and that's part of my reason for being here is to um, raise awareness and to uh, get the word out and to provide, uh, provide some help and some hope. 
um, if at all possible, you know. Um, I talked about a progressive disease, you know, that's what I have and that's what uh, alcoholism is. And the way that is explained is that um, it is a spreading, growing, worsening disease uh, that the end result is severe disability, major organ failure, or death. And um, and I'm not ready to die. So, uh, so um, you know, the good news is, is that there's a solution. And for me right now, the number one piece to this solution is fellowship. Um, you know, I need to be around people who are uh, like me because they understand, um, you know, the situation that I'm in and, and they understand how confusing um, this can be. Um, you know, my brain lies to me, uh, this is for sure, and I've learned that I don't have to believe everything I think. Uh, it's, it's very, very dangerous, but my brain is a little bit different than other people's. And um, sometimes I think I have a brain problem, not a, a drug and alcohol problem. And uh, I know for me, my brain calls for relief and reward chronically. And when my brain makes that, uh, you know, when my brain makes that call, it's calling for certain substances and behaviors. And uh, when my disease isn't treated properly, which is to say when I'm not doing things that keep me sober, all bets are off and alcohol starts calling all the shots. And, you know, this is the point where things become very dangerous. Uh, and I'll choose alcohol over everything in my life that I love. Uh, my wife, my kids, my friends, you know, it all comes second. It all takes a back seat and uh, alcohol becomes like a solvent and it wipes everything away. Uh, and and this has happened to me and I don't want to ha have it happen anymore. It's like it's like a steamroller. Alcohol comes through and uh, just steamrolls steam my life and everything in its path. And um, this thought process doesn't make sense to a lot of people and I, I absolutely ex accept that you know my responsibility is to be part of a community of people you know a fellowship of people who understand this um, and are working toward the same goal as me and that's to stay sober one day at a time So, you know, my memory is flawed and, and fuzzy at best, but um, I can tell you a little bit about my uh, growing up. I was the youngest of four, and uh, my parents worked very, very hard, and um, they did the best they could with what they had, and I tell them that all the time today. Um, but, you know, there was, there was disease in, that, in the household, and um, they, didn't have, they didn't have treatment for it. Unfortunately, there was addiction disease and there was mental illness disease and um, left untreated. It gave way to a very, very crazy household um, and they loved us, you know, and they loved us um, very, very much and they still do. Um, but it was an emotionally unstable place to uh, to bring kids up, you know, um, but they did. They um, I love my folks uh, so much and and. Um, they did the best. They de definitely did the best with what they had. Um, so I'm the youngest of four. Um, 
you know, I started drinking probably the age 14, somewhere around there, 13, 14. And it was one of those parties, you know, where um, we got a case of beer. I think we paid uh, 40 bucks for a case of Miller High Life. And <laughs> everybody had one or two, and I had three or four and was the guy who puked, you know. Uh, my buddy Sean, who I know listened to uh, episode one, who I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, and uh, he's, uh, he's such a good friend. But he remembers I puked all over all over Kenny's truck, and uh, Kenny was, uh, wasn't was a small dude, and needless to say, he wasn't very happy with me, man, so uh, that was kind of my start of, um, of drinking, and that's kind of the way it went. It ramped up um, to every weekend, you know, it ramped up to every weekend, you know, 17, 18, you know, that's what we did, you know, and um, I think I started to realize uh, consciously or unconsciously that I was starting to use alcohol and drugs to mask my feelings and um in pain you know instead of dealing with them um but I continued you know I had I was 20 21 22 and I had a pretty serious injury that landed me in the hospital for um two or three weeks and I was on some serious narcotics and painkillers and I remember the first time I got a shot that I loved the way it made me feel and and um it took all my all my anxiety and, and fears away, and I can remember feeling feeling uh, like I loved that. And I've talked to my wife since about that, and she says, "Oh yeah, yep, I remember, I remember that." And um, not to say that um, that started an addiction toward uh, narcotics, but it certainly uh, started a path to me. Um, using substances to uh sort of alter the way i think and i felt um so that was a pretty big part of my life but um yeah a lot of um just a lot of a lot of social drinking you know my buddies and and uh, our girlfriends and then our fiancés and our wives that what we did and it, it was fun you know it was like we weren't hurting anybody we went out to bars we had parties at, at the houses and um and uh, sort of like no harm no foul you know but with me it did um it did continue to progress, you know, and and it sort of kicked into gear. I remember after my second, uh, I had my second child, and um, I remember, uh, you know, I had I had to take booze into the hospital. I remember that, and it didn't happen with my first one, but the second one, I had a cooler with some booze, and I had a friend who bought beers in, and um, I remember it was right around 2004 when um, this progression really started to happen, and vodka became part of the story and i started to use that to deal with life i have a i have a friend i heard one time he said uh at the end his drink was vodka and saliva and that's what it was like it was just like all right vodka down the hatch but um you know it actually you know it became dangerous you know i i drove a lot i while i didn't i dro- i didn't do i didn't drink while i was working which I don't know. I think that's part of like the rule follower in me, part of like being the fourth, uh, the fourth kid of four, you know. Um, but I always, once I punched out, man, I made my way right toward that liquor store and uh, drove drunk a lot, you know. And and uh, and unfortunately, it's um, I'm not very proud to say that, but uh, but this is my story, you know. The progression just was happening at this point. It was the late two thousands and. Um, people started to have uh families and the drinking got less and i needed to hide because um i couldn't drink like i wanted to around uh friends and family and uh hiding uh you know nips and then the nips turned into half pints and then the half pints turned into pints 
Uh, and I did the whole uh, vodka and water bottle thing and, um, you know, spiritual loss of values, you know, two kids in the back seat uh, taking tugs off uh, a Poland Springs bottle and it's just, uh, just not cool. But, you know, it progressed to the point where I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get alcohol to do for me what I needed it to do, you know, and um, it worked for a long time. Uh, but then it started not to work anymore, you know. And, um, you know, anxiety from drinking would cause me to drink. And it was just, uh, it was just a, a wicked, vicious, wicked, vicious cycle. And, um, I was hoping, you know, that a drink, uh, you know, or a bunch of drinks would keep me content, but, um, but it just wasn't doing it. And all it, all it was doing was really, you know, keeping my addiction content and nothing else. And, um. My anxiety, uh, man, just want me to drink more, and it's just such a dangerous cycle. And uh, and I just came to the end of myself, you know. And it was um, it was one day in um, July. It was uh, July 2012, and it was like, um, you know, uh, that was a night where it it just all kind of it all kind of came to an end. And uh, you know, I told my wife, you know. I cried and I said, I'm done. I can't, I just, I can't do it. You know, I'm, I'm powerless. I don't think I said it that night, but that's how I was feeling. And, and, uh, I surrendered, you know, I let my guard down. I stopped defending my right to drink. And, um, and, uh, I told her, you know, I, I needed to stop. And, you know, to this day I do, I believe it was, it definitely was, you know, God working through her because she was, um, just so caring and and um so understanding and gentle and uh you know she <laughs> she printed out uh, a meeting list for me she was you know we didn't know what aa was and i think she probably just googled it and uh, gave me a meeting list and i went to um a wakefield meeting on a sunday morning and um walked in there you know scared like scared as you know scared like crazy and and I was in the back wall, of course, and my friend Jane motioned over to sit next to her. And I was like, you know, I remember feeling like an emotion, like, wow, you know, like somebody actually cares for me. And I cried and I sat next to her and I listened and I was a friggin' mess, like a fish out of water. And then my friend Janine won the raffle, the big book raffle. Um, you know, I still use that today. I have it in my truck. Um, and, uh, you know, I started hearing things that I could identify with, yet I was utterly confused, you know, and just so scared and full of fear. And I, I, you know, felt so vulnerable and, you know, without beer and liquor and without my, uh, my little tool to live life. You know, I lost my identity as a big time drinker, you know, I, that was my identity, you know, a guy who could, could hang with a certain crowd, um, and, uh, and drink, you know, high alcohol by volume beer and and now you know this was a new crowd with weird people who i potentially had to hang around with you know so it's just a crazy situation but um you know i heard what you guys uh, had to tell me um and i needed to unlearn everything that i that i had learned and i need to relearn life i learned that this had nothing to do with willpower or being tough you know i could uh <sighs> I, I knew a lot of people who are very strong, powerful people who have been beat down by this disease, and uh, it has nothing to do with uh, 
willpower or um, or strength. You know, and so I sat in the back of the rooms and I didn't say uh, I didn't say anything. Never mind, get a number. Uh, but fortunately, my friend Mark asked me to come. You know, sit with a group of guys at the middle of the table um, at the next meeting. You know, um, and my friend Tony P. He scratched on a piece of paper. Tony P <laughs> with his phone number and that was actually the first number that was ever handed to me it's funny how uh, so much is fuzzy but I remember specific things like that you know and I remember Bill IBM uh, gave me his business card I still have it you know uh, so I kept coming back and it wasn't because people kept saying keep coming <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely God guiding me because uh, you know my spirit was able to let that happen and I didn't understand then, you know, but I understand it now. It's our body doesn't have a spirit. Our spirit has a body and my spirit guided me. And um, as long as I was honest and open minded, um, I was going to continue on that journey. So, you know, I'm like my first year, you know, sometimes it was like I didn't I didn't want it to end because people were telling me, you know, like the only work you need to do is uh, the first year. You just just don't pick up your first drink and stay sober. And I was like, all right. And then, uh, you know, and then John Johnny Green Tomato approached me after a meeting in January. And he was like, um, want to get you into a men's group. And I'm like thinking to myself, no way, you know, but my head went, yes, you know, <laughs> and uh so I get into that men's group and he's like, we need a secretary. And I, you know, I took it because I heard that, you know, to get a job, you get yourself involved. And, um, you know, I heard get a sponsor and, and you know, he, he, I remember one night after it was first or second meeting down there um, at the, uh, the band of brothers, we call it. And um, he says, you got a, you got a sponsor yet? And I says, no. And he says, well, ask Gary, you know, uh, you know, you think so? And he says, yeah, ask Gary. So I, so I asked Gary and, uh, you know, sure enough, uh, I was nervous and uncomfortable, but, you know, he said, he said yes. And he told me, you know, that that night, you know, I helped him with, with his sobriety by asking him. And that was a huge learning experience for me. Asking for help, it's not a weakness. It's actually the opposite. Self-aware enough to know that you can, that you can't do this alone and, um, you're smart enough to realize this and, and now and now I know that, you know, and if you're new or if you're coming back, you know, and you and you feel like um, you know, scared to ask for a sponsor, you have to know that that the people that you ask, you you help them just as much as they're gonna help you, and that's a fact. Um so, you know, I changed a lot of things in my life. I uh, changed uh, some acquaintances, I changed I changed my habits and you know i changed my relationship with god you know and i started praying in the morning and and i prayed to for god to direct my thinking and i prayed for the knowledge of god's will and for the power to carry it out and um and when i start my day off like this and i continue to try to do the right thing and use my sobriety tools then things end up okay usually by day's end and sometimes they actually even the day goes good to great you know um, but the tools I use, it's like I use my mouth to speak and, and, um, I found that to be so important. I heard people talk about, um, you know, you're not, a, you, we're not mind readers. You gotta, you gotta tell us how you're feeling. And, and it's so true. It's, it's tough though. It's like, 
it's tough to tell people um, what's going on because you feel like you're burdening them, but it's really not the case. And um, and I've learned that, and I knew I know that that's true today. Um, so I do that. I tell people what's going on in my life, and um, I listen to podcasts. Um, I try to read, you know, I try to read some books that are, that are going to help me. Um, I I found a good doctor that I go to that helps me with uh, with my wellness. And um, you know, I just got to say, as far you know, a little point about medication. I've heard that in the halls, and I just got to say, we're not doctors, and you need to go see a doctor for doctor issues, and um, you need to find yourself a good, reputable doctor for that. Because um, mental wellness um, is uh, super important, and um, and um, and doctors need to, um, you know, I guess I'm trying to say, you you know, doctors are the ones that are to handle doctor things. Um, but so enough about that. But another tool I used was like cognitive therapy exercises for my brain and like mindfulness. Um, you know, that was a scary thing. I was like, geez, what the hell is that? And, you know, how do people practice mindfulness for 25 minutes? But I learned that, you know, you don't, it's not about, it's not about, you know, 20, 25 minutes, a half hour. It's like, take three seconds, you know, can you stop in your tracks for three seconds and, and just be with yourself for three seconds and try and just clear your brain out for three seconds. And then you can do it for five seconds. And then maybe, maybe you'll get to 10 seconds, like progress, you know, just like, just like our program. Um, and it's all good stuff. That, that guy's name is, um, oh, I forget, John Kabat-Zinn um, and Full Catastrophe Living was that book. That really, man, that really helped me early on with, uh, with getting, um, you know, trying to get myself centered and, and living in the moment for a couple seconds a day. Um, and, you know, exercise for your brain to change pathways in your brain. I was talking about that. This is called neuroplasticity or brain plasticity. It's like the ability to change. Uh, ch- it's the ability to, of, a, of a brain to change throughout one life. And, uh, and we can do that. You know, we can, we, can, we can change the way we think. This is all new stuff. This um, new research going on. And for a long time, they didn't think, you know, that pathways continued to, to grow and change in our brain. But, but they do. Uh, so by using these tools and, and, um, and other tools that, you know, we'll certainly talk about in the future episodes, which I am pumped for, I've developed, uh, you know, I've been able to develop new patterns and habits. And, um, you know, one of those things is like waking up with, a, with an attitude that's, that's somewhat positive. And, um, and when I wake up with, a, with, when I wake up with a, the ability to have a positive attitude, I get some positive momentum for the day and I get myself on a good path and a path that leads to uh, good things happening. And it's a path that becomes a pattern. And when I follow this pattern, it leads to well-being. You know, it takes me by the hand and it directs me to human wellness. You know, I'm, I'm able to take care of myself today. And I understand that doing things that are good for me will ultimately play a part in joy and happiness. You know, eating well and putting good things into my body. And sometimes I like to eat like shit and guess how I feel as a result of that. But, you know, it's like, uh, you know what I mean? Exercising to keep my body well. Um, I always feel good when I'm leaving, when I'm leaving the Y, that's usually where I feel my best, you know, so that makes sense to me. 
Um, I put good things into my head and not garbage. I've learned that too, and all these things for myself leads me to people who to people who are well and who people who want to also develop patterns so that they can be well. So I believe in this one hundred percent, and um, and and it works for me. And you absolutely can go countercultural and change your patterns and behavior and habit. You know, I've done it. Uh, this is there's an awesome book called The Power of Habit um, by Charles Duhigg. Um, you know, I highly recommend that. Uh, but this is what works for me. I'm free today from my old self. I found freedom from a fatal obsession, and I have a new identity, and it's amazing. Thank you, God. Um, but so that's that's what I do. That's that's uh, what I do. I try to do some service work, sponsorship. Uh, I do detox commitments, and um, and I'm I'm working on a podcast. So. Uh, this is how I do it. Um, I hope you find this helpful. Um, I really want to continue doing this. I would love any feedback. I'm going to have, uh, try and figure out, I don't know, a website or um, whatever other kind of stuff I need, you know, I'm going to need to do. Um, but it's all, it's all, you know, it's all a process. Um, progress, not perfection, right? Um, you know, so, but listen, if you're in, if you're in despair, it's okay because, there is hope, and um, you know, and you have it because you're listen. You're here listening, you know. And if you didn't have hope, you wouldn't be listening. So, uh, you know, I'm here to tell you that uh, that that uh, there's hope out there, and you're not alone. And uh, there are millions and millions of people struggling like you, but uh, there is a solution. So, join me next time. This has been awesome. I'm pumped for this. Um, you make it to the end. You made it to the end. You are a good friend. <laughs> I love you. Big hug. I like to give hugs. Um, next episode, episode three, with Gary G. Thanks for listening.